Hello and welcome. This is Ron Cohen, and this is the Tax Updates Podcast. I'm at the firm of Greenstein, Rogoff, Olson and Company. Our phone number is 510-797-8661. Call anytime. We're happy to talk and chat with anybody a little bit to see if we can help. Um, this episode, we're going to cover something that just broke last night. Uh, the House and Senate seem to be making progress on extensions of time for various things with the PPP loans, payroll protection program loans that many clients are struggling with, have borrowed big mon- amounts of money, and but we'll come back to that. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about forms 1099B that your brokers send you at the end of the year. They send them back in January. Now, for some of our large clients, right, we're trying to get through all them. Often they're 100 pages, get all the stock trades, get that into the returns. There's some tricks and traps on that I want to talk about. And uh, the IRS put out a little uh, notice yesterday about how to do withholding on pension plans. Uh, so I'll mention that. That's uh, notice 2020-3. Okay, um, we do about, I don't know, about 15, 1,600 tax returns in this firm. We're about 35 people. We're here in beautiful Fremont, California, about 40 miles south of San Francisco. And uh, we're always happy to help. Uh, let's go through some caveats before I get into what I wanted to talk about today. Take no reliance on anything you hear on this podcast. Make sure you validate it. You can call us. You can check with any other tax professional. But please make sure you are completely in alignment with the law before you use any tax planning in any transaction or put a number on a tax return and file it. Please validate what you hear if you go forward with uh, any planning. Uh, Plagiarism here is okay. Uh, We're not doing any novels or writing any works of art. The practice of tax law and tax planning is about uh, thoroughly understanding what the government has to say on an issue. So we certainly uh, use all the resources from the Internal Revenue Service, but lots of CPAs and lawyers and enrolled agents and other commentators, professors, write all kinds of things on the internet and they provide all the sites. So you can go back and find the statute that supports what they're saying. And the answer, the, the, the process is always trying to get the best answer for your client, the best answer, the lowest amount of tax, the most creative idea. Somebody puts something on the internet, it's a free game. Uh, to be used. And uh, we do try to give credit when um, I am referring to someone else's work. But don't think that anything you hear on this podcast is my original thought, because it's probably not. No politics in this podcast. You can listen day and night to political podcasts. I often do for fun. Um, So we try to stay out of that. Although sometimes political policies drive tax policy, and then it's good and fair to discuss why the tax, tax law is what it is and how the thoughts behind it came to be. All right. Um, fourth, uh, I am no cheerleader for the tax law. Not at all. It is tedious. It's intrusive. It's boring. Everything has a 15-layer decision tree to get to a $20 deduction. Uh, it it's, uh, costs $600 billion a year, it's been estimated, in the United States. For people to prepare, file their taxes, fight with the IRS, fight with state tax authorities over those returns, way, way, way. That's more money than a lot of countries have as gross domestic product on this planet. But we just spend that doing our taxes. Got to be a better way. Got to be a better way. So 
Uh, but at the same time, in tax practice, when you file a return or give advice, you're always trying to get an A plus. A plus, not an A minus, not an A, not a B, B plus, C. An A plus, because that's what the rules of practice say. Even when there's a gray area, you have to try to do what you think is intended by the government to the, uh, to the extent possible. There are some gray areas where you can be aggressive, but only within narrow bands. And that tax return, when you sit down with an auditor, better be an A plus. And that's how we approach things while always advising our clients of all the uh, possible alternatives. There are A plus answers where one answer is a lot less taxed than the other. They're both A pluses. You just have to have support for what you're doing. And uh, the tax law is, uh, uh, has been estimated to be 16,500 pages of statute and relevant uh, rulings and case law. And so uh, there's a lot of answers to a lot of questions. And you just have to find the best one that uh, you feel is principled and ethical. Okay. Again, we're at www.grocogroco.com. You can go to our website, see all kinds of information about me and my partners and our firm and the services we provide. So let's get right into what I think is the biggest thing. I, I saw this coming in this morning, and this is a Bloomberg article uh, on the Internet uh, as of May 26th. I'm going to read this. It is so relevant. It's only a few pages. And every paragraph has some very pertinent information. Why, why am I doing that? Because uh, many, many of our clients have gone out and borrowed money on the payroll protection program with the view that the loans were forgivable, right? The, no personal guarantees. The loans are forgivable if you spend them on uh, qualifying expenses, mostly payroll, uh, some rent, some utilities with some limitations. Uh, you have to sign a certification. In the last couple episodes, we covered some issues about people who took the money and really were lying on that certification. And then they had to figure out how to give the money back and so forth. But you have to if you follow all the rules. It's really a great thing in this terrible, terrible calamity that we're going through with the virus as people are struggling to not lay off people and, and keep their companies alive. Well, last week, the internal, the small business administration came out with the application for forgiveness. So here you've done everything. I won't go through the long thing. You've heard my little chant from prior episodes. You got your money. And then there's a uh, eight-week fuse that you have to spend the money on qualified expenses, right? And uh, then you're, you're doing that so that following the statute in the CARES Act, which is just today, two months old, that's kind of a good thing, kind of a bad thing. <laughs> and... Um, you had to spend the money fast enough, and then you have to, uh, about a week ago, the IRS put out an application to file to get your loan forgiven. You went through all the hassle of applying for a loan. It's kind of like applying for a mortgage. It's no fun. And the SBA approved it. Your bank approved it, and money showed up in your account. Now uh, you've spent the money on qualifying the expenses, or maybe you haven't, and that we'll talk about in a minute. And you want that loan off your books. You want the government to say, I promised you I, forget, I would forgive it. You filed the right paperwork, and now you are, bless you, forgiven. And uh, no more correspondence with the Small Business Administration on this point, and you owe them nothing. Interest stops accruing. Um, end of story. And that, that's a good thing. Well, the application they came up with was 11 pages long. 11 pages and then there's instructions. And the instructions is written as if you have a master's in taxation. 
and you understand all this technical jargon. And you also have a master's degree in accounting and you understand things like cutoff rules and bank reconciliations and and so forth. It, it's it's something uh, uh, you can look at our prior episode. We uh, and and um, uh, it's been l- largely covered in the press. Well, people have been going nuts in the last five days. Here, they they read through this, and being practical, say, okay, well, how, how am I gonna how am I gonna get this done? And I always go to the example of Phil, the barber, Phil the barber, Phil the barber, greatest guy, cuts my hair. Um, you know, has five or six guys in his barber shop. It's one of those retro barber shops. So you go in there and it seems like you're in the 1950s and and there's some magazines in there, but we won't get into that, right? It's for it's for mostly guys, right? <laughs> and uh um, but Phil is a really nice guy, you know, no college degree, hardworking, uh, good American, right? Runs his own business. He can't figure that he can't file, he can't fill out that application. Phil's a great guy. He can't do it. Can't do it. Too many words, too many questions, too many what if this, what if that. Let's go through the 50-step decision tree. Get out your Excel spreadsheet. Figure out whether the check was paid on this date or that date for expensing. You can't do it. Can't do it. Phil's just a decent guy, decent American, right? You can't do it. Uh, So then you get more sophisticated companies, right? Some even have some internal accounting staff. We're getting phone calls here at the firm, right? Can't do it. You know, we can run our QuickBooks, we can balance our checking account, but I've tried to read what this thing says and I, I can't do it. Ron, I know, do you, do, do you guys do it? Can you help us out? Um, to which the answer is yes, a little self-promotion there. If you need some help with that, uh, uh, please give us a call. We are uh, trying to assist people with uh, filling out these applications. And then um, Friday night, this Friday before Memorial Day weekend, uh, people at the Small Business Administration in Washington put out five or six page, or maybe it was 16 pages, I, you know, uh, of clarification. So you have the application, then you have the instructions, and now you have the first round of clarifications of the instructions with the promise at the end of it that there will be more clarifications to the clarifications of the instructions. And the, uh, Unbelievable. Phil, Phil the barber can't figure this out, right? What's he going to do? And I don't mean that facetiously at all. I mean, the vast majority of the takers on these loans are not people with internal accountants and in-house lawyers and, and uh, who are good in Excel and can come up with the, fill out all the little numbers and the charts and graphs they want in this application. Ridiculous. Nobody, nobody road tested this thing to say, you know, you know you're, you're sending money to Phil. How is Phil supposed to get this forgiven? Not to beat up on Phil, Right. So uh, the phone calls and letters have been flying into Washington uh, with both parties, and I'm going to read from this Bloomberg, Bloomberg article, uh, Hoyer, which is Steny Hoyer, the uh, majority leader in the House. Um, you may recall Speaker Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House, but Steny Hoyer is uh, uh, a congressman who leads, he, he leads the majority there. Uh, um, so you actually, you know, you have two leaders. You have the Speaker and you have the majority leader in the House, Steny Hoyer. So the, the article's uh, called Hoyer Says House and Senate Close to PPP Loan Extension. Again, Bloomberg here. Uh, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer said the House and Senate would, should be able to quickly agree on changes to the Small Business Administration's popular paycheck protection program to give loan recipients more flexibility 
and using the funds. And then we talked about this many times. You're on an eight-week fuse. So here, here's the going back to the article. The House is po- poised to pass a bill on Thursday. I'm recording this on Wednesday, so that's tomorrow, tomorrow. That would extend the current eight-week period during which businesses must use funds to have loans forgiven to 24 weeks. So let me say that clear. It was eight weeks. Now they're going to extend it to 24 weeks, right? And a lot of us have been hemming and hawing about this because we said, oh, you know, with this shutdown was going to be two, three weeks to flatten the curve and so forth. Again, not getting political. And here we are on like the 72 72nd day of the shutdown. Some parts of the country, it's starting to lighten up. Some parts of California, it's starting to lighten up. Not so much here in Alameda County in beautiful downtown Fremont, but uh, where we have high hopes um, things will loosen up soon. Um, So the House is poised to pass a bill on Thursday that would extend the current eight-week period during which businesses must use funds to have the loans forgiven to 24 weeks or December 31st. That's a good thing. Thank you. That's a good thing. Takes all that pressure off. Clients are just trying to survive, right? Uh, They don't need an eight-week headache. So go, uh, you know, that's uh, uh, three times, 24, or all the way to uh, December 31st, whichever comes sooner. It would let businesses repay loans over five years instead of two. That's if you don't qualify for the forgiveness. And scrap the rule. This is a big one. Scrap a rule that no more than 25% of the proceeds can be spent on expenses. That's actually a misprint. They, uh, what they meant was 75% had to be spent on payroll, could be spent on other things, rent, mortgage, uh, interest, utilities. And then (laughs) in the guidance they issued last Friday, said, no worries. Here's the algebraic formula for figuring out whether you have met the 25% test. And I uh, sent out to my clients, isn't this ridiculous? Here's what it it says, and here's what what it means, you know, trying to break down algebra in the simple, uh, 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 you know, division and multiplication. I, um, I, I provided that to people, but it looks like they may make that go away because now you can use a hundred percent on, um, on, uh, both, uh, 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 payroll and expenses. Again, people are just trying to survive and we didn't think it would go on this long. Moving on here, the house also plans to take up a bill to increase transparency in the program. Well, Not sure what that means. A similar measure with bipartisan support in the Senate would extend the deadline to apply for a loan to the end of the year from June 30th. So if you were still thinking about getting one of these loans and you're, you know, June 30th is coming up. Today is May 27th. Um, More time. And double the eight-week period during which businesses must use the funds um, to have them forgiven. Uh, so, so in, in, so let's be clear, right. Um, in the house bill, they're going to three times it go from eight weeks to 24 weeks In the Senate bill, it was, uh, they're, they're going to go from eight weeks to 16 weeks, but they're, they're negotiating right now to come up with what's the right answer. Hopefully in my view, it will be as long as possible. What the heck people are just trying to survive, right? Uh, here's Mr. Hoyer. What we think is there is a general consensus, both in the House and Senate, that the time frame that was set was too short. Duh. Unfortunately, Hoyer told reporters he didn't say duh. I did. Uh, the timing matter. Uh, the timing matters because the first companies that received 
loans after the PPP program opened on April 3rd will be in the eight-week loan forgiveness periods uh, be, will begin to expire at the end of this week and in early June, right? So it depends when you first got your money deposited in your bank. The eight-week period starts to click away. You're on a short fuse. And uh, make it 24 weeks. Uh, make it till December 31. This is a calamity, right? Why are we picking nits on, um, on little bits like that? Hopefully they'll come to a reasonable conclusion with the negotiations. Senate leaders have asked lawmakers in the chamber to give unanimous consent to the Senate's version. That means we just all stand up and say yay or nay, and unanimous means nobody says nay, they all, or, or they all say nay, which they wouldn't. So they all say yay. Everybody agrees to unanimous consent, then we don't have to have all the senators come in and individually vote one at a time and uh, just make it unanimous. There's technical ways to do that and just move this along, move this along. Then we've seen in our history, we've seen with some of the COVID bills uh, where you can take an absolutely phenomenal, you know, 1,800-page bill, uh, even more than that, and pass it in minutes if it's unanimous. Where everywhere, where otherwise just to call the roll takes two hours, right? In the Senate, and the House uses a computerized voting system, but, uh, <coughs> excuse me, but they, uh, they, they will spend 20, 30 minutes just doing a vote in the House. Anyway, if it's unanimous, everything moves along very quickly which would also allow borrowers, borrowers to use proceeds for personal uh, protective equipment and investments for reopening while ensuring that lenders aren't held liable for the certification and documentation borrowers provided during the loan process. That gets back to, gee, did some people lie? Did they really say they needed the money when they didn't need the money? And then there's been these threats that they're going to be referred to the criminal investigation division and they're just trying to say, no, 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 let's back off. Only the really extreme cases where like a multi-billion dollar company uh, clearly didn't mean the mo- need the money, goes and does one of these loans. The certification says you can't do that. Again, that's a lawyer thing. I'm going to leave that alone. Moving on here, senators uh, aren't in town this week, but have a pro forma session scheduled for Thursday during which it would pass the bill if there are no objections, right? Uh, otherwise, the Senate could take up the House passed measure next week, right? It goes back and forth. There's going to be differences. They get ironed out. And isn't that wonderful? In a pro forma session, you know, three guys can be in the Senate. You don't need a quorum. I might be wrong about that. Uh, And um, uh, as long as no one objects, you can pass a multi-multi-billion dollar bill. Just nobody can object. If one person objects, and Rand Paul is famous for this uh, in a number of cases, where everybody was okay, and Rand Paul would say, I object. And that means they got to go back to the committees. They've got to have a person-by-person vote where everybody's going to be you know, reported in the press to say, I voted yes or no. No, you just can't hide behind a unanimous vote. Rand Paul is famous for said, But I think he's on board with this because, again, these are technical timing issues and not, um, not any real, you know, there's really not any politics. The politics is, all this moved too fast. This thing's gone on way longer than anybody thought. And now we're trying to um, put lipstick on a pig and make it work, right? <laughs> get it get it sorted out so um, it's not so painful for Phil, my friend the barber, right? Because right now it's intolerable. Uh, moving on here, a Senate GOP ad, aide, sorry, a Senate GOP aide said action in the Senate is being held up because some senators want to attach other provisions to the legislation 
and may try to do the same to the House bill once it comes over. Senate leaders have some hope. Uh, the deadline for the businesses uh, under the existing law will create a sense of urgency that would end those efforts. In other words, to turn the bill into a Christmas tree bill. And that, that's a pejorative that they use me. Well, let's put everything that everybody wants on it to get it passed. Uh, our congressman here in the 17th District of California, um, bills come up, he always likes to say, we should, have, we should attach Medicare for all onto this bill. Well, what does Medicare for all have to do with this issue or that issue? Well, he, he just likes to keep bringing it up and try to attach it. Again, a little bit political there, but uh, hopefully those kinds of Christmas tree acts of, uh, of, of amendments will not occur and we can get this done and uh, make it easier for Phil and everybody else. Um, simplify the application process, uh, give everyone more time, hopefully. Um, so they'll come together. Horace said that he thought the differences in the measures could be easily reconciled. Well, that's good because that's what you guys are paid to do. You sit up there in Washington, think big thoughts, and so uh, do something reasonable. There's not much different in terms of weeks, eight weeks, he said. This is Steny Hoyer. Okay, this is really getting interesting here. After the initial round of $349 billion in funding for PPP was exhausted in just 13 days, remember that? Seems like it was forever ago. It was just a little over, you know, the CARES Act is two months old. That was shortly after the CARES Act was passed. On April 16th, excuse me, it's right in the article. So a CARES Act was passed March 27th, if I recall. By April 16th, the $349 billion was gone. And then there was uh, another tranche of $320 billion. You know, a billion here, a billion there. This is, this is real money, right? Uh, would also be depleted in a matter of days when the program relaunched on April 27th uh, last month. But the pace of loan approvals has slowed dramatically. That was surprising to me. That was surprising to me. It's almost like ventilators, right? Everybody needs them, but now you provide them. Okay, won't get too political. <laughs> um, and there's still more than $100 billion remaining in the second round of funding. So there's money waiting to be had and people aren't asking for it based on totals from the Small Business Administration released on May 23rd. That was like three, four days ago, right? And this is per Bloomberg. In fact, the net amount of loan dollars approved has declined with new approvals being offset by cancellations, especially from businesses returning loans. So the net outflow into the economy is actually a reversal. It's a, not a, net, uh, it's, it's a net decline. Because why? Because uh, some companies, some big ones, uh, kind of uh, lied a little bit on their certifications, and then their lawyers came down saying, you know, you really can't do that. Give the money back. So they gave the money back. But more uh, to the point, which I think is, is really a, a terrible crisis, is uh, uh, well, well-meaning companies who absolutely needed the money, absolutely, no question about it, borrowed the money, uh, went through the whole process. First of all, their first bank said, we don't have any more money. So they went to three different banks, and they finally found one to give them the money. And they went through the, the process, and they got the SBA approval with their magic number, and they did the DocuSign process. and all, Just like a mortgage, right? You finally get, boom, the money hits their thing, and they said, now watch. You've got eight weeks to spend this 75% on payroll, 25% on some other things. And if you don't, it's not forgiven. 
And so people said, well, well, wait a minute. The county health commissioner is banning my employees from coming to work. So, and, and I, out of uh, good management, fired these people. Why? Not to be mean, but so that they could run down to the Employment Development Department for unemployment insurance and start claiming unemployment benefits. I'm a good guy, right? I don't want to hold this up. I'm not going to keep them kind of employed and maybe cut their hours. And No, no, no. Just let them go, right? Let them go. In fact, the unemployment insurance is so good because it got bumped up by $600 a week and that some people are uh, hesitating coming back to work when they're being called back to work uh, because the unemployment insurance is more than they were making uh, when they had the, in, in the regular job. And that's well documented. It's all in the press. And uh, I have personal knowledge that a couple of employers have had to pay bonuses to employees because the attendance, you know, there was the attendance problem, the absenteeism. They, they said, well, I got, I got a number more weeks on this unemployment for free. I, I love you. You asked me to come back. But wait, wait, I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back. Just, just I'm getting paid more for watching Netflix at home. And, I, you know, I'm a good person. I'm not saying anybody isn't a good person. They're making a rational economic decision. Right. So companies have paid bonuses just to get the people to come back to overcome the excess unemployment compensation. Okay. Well, that, that we all talked about as it was happening in the CARES Act. A number of senators warned that would happen. It did happen. Uh, nothing we can do about now. So, but what, where my point was with this is companies are being caught in a bind where they can't get the employees back to pay salary and they can't pay the salary so that they meet the eight-week test to get all the PPP money distributed out 75% in payroll. And so they're talking to their accountants, they're talking to the lawyer, they're talking to the banker, and they say, oh my God, the only way to stay out of trouble, I don't want to keep this loan, the only way to stay out of trouble, and then there's a certification problem, even if you can't, if you can't spend it, because you said you could spend it. Uh, so they're giving the money back. So now we're seeing this terrible phenomenon where the, the money is not coming out of the government, it net, you know, some, some loans are being made, but net, net, it's an inflow back to the government, exactly what nobody wanted. This is a catastrophe. I mean, I mean they're going to write this up in the textbooks for students to read for the next thousand years about how not to, hap to handle a dilemma. And, and I don't, I don't, I'm not talking about Trump, and I'm not talking about uh, the, the Democrats, I'm talking about everybody should say, you know, if you want to get money out, get money out, but don't put so many uh, levers on it, uh, um, pullbacks, a clawback provisions, so that somebody who wants to be honest and ethical has to look in the mirror and say, I spent three weeks trying to get that money from the bank. It showed up. And now because of the health department, uh, I can't hire people or I can't even if I hire them, they won't show up. I'm not going to spend the money in time. Let me let me give some of that money back. Okay. So now, riddle me this, <laughs> right? So you, you've gone through that. You sent the money back. I'm going to ask a question I don't know the answer to. You sent the money back. And then the House and Senate and the president signs a bill saying it's not eight weeks. Now it's 24 weeks or whatever it is from when you got the money to December 31st. Do you call the bank and say, give me back the money? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And, and the, again, in terms of uh, efficiency, streamline, th this is a disaster. I mean, people, I'm sure, having heart attacks, anxiety. I would. <laughs> right? um, I, I have the money. I don't have the money. People, 
And, and then while this is going on, I can state as a fact that 200,000 companies in the U.S. have declared bankruptcy in the last 60 days, which means basically game over. There's no game. It's over. It's over. So, yes, give your money back. I mean, now that I think about it as I'm rambling here, sure, I declare bankruptcy. So part of the bankruptcy cleanup is to give the money back, right? Because you don't want to have this liability uh, hanging over your head to the bank when you're, um, when you're ending the enterprise. Just horrible. I hope you followed all that. Um, this is, this is uh, not being handled well uh, by both parties, uh, by the government in general. Okay, so as I was reading, but the pace of loan approvals has slowed dramatically, and there's still more than $100 billion remaining from remaining in the second round of funding uh, based on the totals from the Small Business Administration through May 23rd. I already read that. In fact, the net amount of loan dollars approved has declined. That's the total cumulative balance of loans out there has declined with new approvals being offset by cancellations, especially from businesses returning loans. And I've just spent five minutes about why in the heck would that be the case? The net amount of loans approved was $511.2 billion through May 23rd, about $2 billion less than the $513.3 billion processed on May 16th. Uh, so the amounts of loans, PPP loans out there in the world on May 6, uh, 23rd are less than the amount that were out in the world on May 16th. Exactly what you don't want to see happen when you're running an, uh, an emergency rescue program. Unbelievable. Even as the net number of loans increased by 8,500 during that time, according to SBA reports. Uh, so whether you're a large business with a big number, small business with a little number, overall you want the net to be growing, growing. We, we uh, approve this money to go out. Please take it. Please have it forgiven. Please pay your people. Please keep them employed. Please do what you can. No, no, I give up. I give up. It, I'm, I'm almost getting tearful, frankly. It's terrible. It's a horrible thing that's happening. The net amount has declined by $20 billion since May 8th, according to calculations by Bloomberg News. All right. Well, that's about all I can take of that. Um, uh, we will have in the show notes uh, uh, the information all of, with a Bloomberg article. We have in the show notes for prior um, uh, editions uh, of this uh, podcast, uh, the things leading up to this. And uh, I sure as heck the Senate and the Cong uh, House meet come to give them as much time as they need. Make this application as easy as it can possibly be. You know, uh, this is an emergency and um, this is what happens when bureaucrats get involved. They make everything, everything go bad. Okay, so then quickly moving on, we're going to talk about Forms 1099B, completely changing gears here. So you have an account at Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley or Vanguard or E-Trade, whatever, and you get this thing around January 31st, and it is your consolidated 1099B. So in the old days, you get a little 1099 form in the mail for interest and one for dividends, and then maybe a different one for stock trade. So years ago, they said, that's ridiculous. Let's let these brokerage firms who spend a lot of money, you know, putting these uh, systems together to do uh, uh, report a copy of this to the IRS and a copy of it to the taxpayer, right? So you have to put it in your tax return. The IRS matches it up. Make sure you reported all your interest, dividend, capital gains, and various other things. So that system worked pretty good until sometime in the Bush administration, um, they 
past the qualified dividend. And the problem with the qualified dividend is a lot of math has to be done, a lot of books, the books have to be closed. But you don't know on December 31 whether a dividend is a qualified dividend based on a number of different rules and uh, the holding period you had in the stock. And I can't go through all that here. But uh, the brokers, so the, the, the accommodation they came up with is, okay, we will send everybody the first preliminary 1099 by the end of uh, January, as we're required to do, with a big warning across top saying, hey, this may change. This may change. All right. So why is it may change? Because, again, uh, the, the calculation of whether a dividend is qualified or not takes time. It can't be resolved in 30 days. Uh, and, and by the time you got it on December 31st, you know, they had to mail it on, Jan on, I'm sorry, January 31st. They had to mail it on January 20th, right? So they only had 20 days. So they said, okay, we're going to fire out a draft, and then we'll give you a, a revision. All right, so you're, you're one of the, the wonderful folks, and I, I love them, right? It keeps us busy in February. You want to rush to your CPA or enrolled agent or tax preparer. You want that return done by June 3rd. Uh, February, February 3rd. You want that return done by February 3rd. So you get your 1099B in the mail and you put it with all your other papers. You run to your CPA and say, give me my tax return in a week, right? And I go, well, wait a minute. This 1099 says this is just the first version. I have to wait for the final version because your qualified dividends may change, may change. And that issue rose up about, oh, I don't know, about 10 years ago. And we had to say, well, slow down, slow down. So and now, especially for big, rich people with huge portfolios, we, you know, we'd call the broker and say, well, when do you, Merrill Lynch, think you're going to have the final number? Now, you're dealing with your stock brokerage person, man or woman, lovely person, wonderful, smart, beautiful about investments, knows how to do this. They don't know. They don't know. These numbers are being crunched way in the back room in some big building in New York, and they're, they're being fed data updated every day from all these public companies. And usually they say, oh, oh, oh it'll be okay uh, by March 15th. If you haven't gotten a revision from us, you can consider that final. All right. Well, and so I'm just a happy CPA. I say, well, now, mate, wait a minute. In a normal year, not this year, we have till July 15th, but in a normal year, the original due date of return is April 15th. So you're telling me to wait to finish your return, you know, until March 15th. That, that, that puts everybody on a 30-day window. I, I, I mean, all my, I, I for myself, I, I do about 150 individual returns, right? And most of them go on extension for all kinds of reasons. But you're going to squeeze my practice down to 30 days between March 15th and uh, uh, April 15th? Well, so the brokers say with, with a straight face, don't worry, finish all the other parts of the return. And, you know, when we zip this out in the mail to the uh, to the client, and now you know we'll, we'll put it on on his website. He doesn't have to, have to wait for the mail. He'll zip you a PDF, and then you can finish the return. Yes, but but in terms of physical volume and me actually getting some sleep, right? I I can't do a huge percentage of my returns in a thirty day window. It's impossible, right? With lots going on, lots of things to think about. Um, and they said, well, that's the way it is. You just have to wait. So I tell the client, well. You might have to go on, on extension because, because that's not my fault, right? You were supposed, the government says you're supposed to have your 1099B by January 31st, but that was only the preliminary one. So they have to wait up. And wait. I have had, I've had clients get updates that are 1099Bs in early April. 
I've had him get 1099B revisions after we thought we were safe to file the return, meaning that the return needs to be amended. Now, thank goodness, most of the time when you look at it, it's about 5 or $10 different. So we were all this waiting and delay, about a 5 or $10, and this is on big accounts, right? This isn't on a small portfolio. So to which we go, well, forget it. We're not going to amend for $10. So, so you know, NOB, okay. The IRS literally doesn't care about that kind of change in um, the income either, uh, is my personal opinion. So that's the, that's the major pre- problem with the 1099Bs is they delay your ability to complete and file a return. Now, now, these things go on for 40 pages, and you have all your stock trades that go to Schedule D. You have all your interest and, and dividends that go to... Uh, Schedule B. Um, uh, you may have foreign tax credits because some f- offshore withholding taxes were paid on dividends that came from like Nestle. Lots of people own Nestle. It's a Swiss company. You get a dividend from Nestle of $100. They took out $5 of Swiss tax. So you have to report the whole $100 and then take a credit for the $5 of Swiss tax. Well, we can do that. And that's all identified in 1099B. The biggest thing uh, to uh, to move through this, the biggest thing that is a problem is state taxation because uh, you may have uh, municipal bond interest. Like there's a rule with California that if you have a mutual fund with California municipal bonds, if that munici- most of the the brokerage firms and the uh, bond, uh, the uh, munis- uh, mutual funds that do this, they they know this rule, right? So if they call something the California municipal long term whatever, all the bonds are California. Because the rule says if the fund is less than um, uh, uh, is 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 the if the fund is more than eighty percent California bonds, you can treat the whole thing as tax exempt. And what what do I mean by that? So let's say there's a New Jersey bond in this California tax exempt bond. Technically, you're supposed to carve out the interest related to the New Jersey bond that's taxable in California, where. California will give you a tax exemption only on the California interest. And all that's on, in pages and pages of the 1099B. So if the fund is more than 80% California, you can consider it 100% California because everybody's brain explodes. So look, I can't carve out, you know, little bits. So, so usually these funds are very good at making sure if they're called California tax exempt, they're all tax. And New York has a similar rule. Other states have similar rules. So all this, so, so the problem is, well, you have a, municipal bond fund, but it's in all kinds of different states. Then you got to turn to the page on the 1099B that says, well, this fund is 40% California and, and, and 20% New Jersey and 30% uh, uh, New York. And um, you, 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 then you have to, as a California resident, you have to figure, oh, okay, well, I'm exempt on the California percentage, but uh, tax-free income but and California is going to tax me on uh, the New York and the Jer- New Jersey percentage, right? And and so that you can get into these elaborate calculations, all that information's in the 1099B, and you got to very diligently go through there if you're getting into some municipal bond stuff um, with regard to um, tax-free bonds uh, in your brokerage account. Uh, so so that takes some analysis. Now I will say I will I will plead guilty. You know, if this is all about the allocation of $500, I don't care, right? I will report that I will take that all as California tax-free, even if, you know, $15 of it is New Jersey interest. I just don't care. 
right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the work as nobody wants you to. And it's uh, all okay. But that's, that's the problem with 1099Bs as we're finishing up here is one, they come in a preliminary version and then a second revision. And sometimes I've seen a third revision because of the qualified dividends or some information flowed up uh, wrong uh, late. You then have to make sure you got your foreign tax credits right. There are other issues that I'm not boring you with. And then you have to make sure you have gotten your tax-exempt income right uh, based on where these municipal bonds are from. There's also an alternative minimum tax issue, which I'm not going to bore you with too hard on specified specified, um, um, uh, spec- specified productivity bonds. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name, but, but there's another issue there where that's treated differently for AMT purposes, alternative minimum tax. And regular tax, so 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 the tax preparer is first of all, please please get the 1099 to your tax preparer as quick as possible, so he can very slowly, uh, competently go through it, get, make sure he's covered all these issues, get it right, and then even if he's done that or she's done that, still may have to go. Hey, you got to go on extension because uh, uh, we don't know if this is the final version. And you'll call your broker, and your broker doesn't know if it's the final br- version because. It's being dealt with with uh, some magician in some big office building in New York who has the great big computer system and is waiting, you know, for all the little bits to come in. It's, I wish they would come up with some elegant thing saying, you know, uh, uh, if it's not there by February, it's, there's a Ron Cohen rule, right? Forget about all the nonsense. If it's not there by February 15th, forget about it. That's it. If there's any true up, put it in the next year rather than making hundreds and thousands of people go, well, I can't prepare. I can't wait. I got to wait. It's not the final number. And you don't know if it's off by $10 or $10,000, right? You don't know. You just don't know until it shows up and you can call your broker and he doesn't know either because things are bouncing around. So bad system, not elegant, right? Make it, make it February 15th. If there's an error, pick it up next year. Uh, um, and that's the end of it. But, uh, Another bureaucratic hassle that we deal with this every year, every year. So we went through uh, the PPP loans and hopefully some legislation to make it better for everybody. Um, And then we went through 1099Bs. I didn't make it to notice 2020-3. I can say this very quickly, right? Uh, My producer here will not beat me up if I take another two minutes. Thank you very much, sir. So um, uh, the IRS put out a ruling saying, uh, that everything's the same as it used to be. You have a pension, and um, let's say you're getting it from Vanguard, and Vanguard sends you in paper or electronically, fill out this form W4P, because you got to tell us how much you want to withhold from this pension payment. A lot of people say nothing. Yeah, you can do that. Uh, or you say, oh, withhold this amount and claim so many exemptions and whatever. Well, the forms have changed under the 2017 Act, and then the 2017 Act said, hey, we're going to change the forms and we leave it up to the Secretary of Treasury to use his discretion to figure out how to give you a, 10, a W-4P for your pension withholding. So it took the Secretary of Treasury from Jan- December in 2017 until May of 2020 because they have to get their five coffee breaks and, and three vacations in every year. And they finally came out with this beautiful ruling. Again, notice 2020-3 that says, you know what it was before? It's the same now. (laughs) And what that rule was, was that if you did not give them your W-4P, you had withholding applied as if um, 
as if you were married with a, a couple of dependents. Uh, it was a default rule. And so, yeah, married person claiming three withholding allowances. So that's what it was before. And the secretaries finally got around, Secretary of Treasury, of saying it still will be that way in the future. Now, this is all ignoring the practical reality. The practical reality is Vanguard or Merrill Lynch or whoever your pension company is says, we are not sending you any money until you fill out the W-4P. No money. You either have to tell us you are, want no withholding or you want to tell us you know, how many exemptions or whatever you want. But you have to send us back the W-4P or we send you nothing. So this default rule saying if you don't send back the W-4P, the default is that you're married with three withholding allowances literally applies to no one. And they took three years to come up with confirming a rule that applies to no one. Uh, another, another great uh, um, success for the Internal Revenue Service. And <laughs> I'll leave that at that. So, okay, there we go. We covered PPP loans. We covered 1099Bs. And we covered Notice 2020-3. Again, that's in the show notes. Um, you can read that if you uh, get into those kinds of technical issues. It really means nothing to tax term preparers. All this has to be dealt with uh, the 2020-3 between the uh, pension recipient and the uh, administrator of that pension, uh, but um, uh, a bit to know there. All right, so stay safe. What what crazy times. I can barely keep up. Uh, we are trying to help people with their PPP loans, uh, and it's a complete moving target, which is really, really sad. It, this affects hundreds and hundreds of thousands of companies, and they're making it a complete morass and nosebleed, uh, as if you had nothing better to do while you're trying to survive but to watch for the latest update from the Treasury Department, you have no time. Can't do it. Phil the Barber can't do it, uh, amongst others. So, again, stay safe. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye now. <laughs>